Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership today. On this podcast, we try to focus on issues that are uh, related to leading local churches and Christian ministry organizations. I try to stay away from uh, preaching on the podcast, although occasionally I do that, and focus instead on uh, problem solving and and uh, and issues that are pressing us uh, and help you to figure out just what to do about some of those. Also, I uh, have been saying on the podcast that I like to talk about what you're interested in, of course, and so I draw a lot of my podcast information from my speaking ministry and from my traveling and talking with pastors all over the country about issues they're facing. But I'm also interested in hearing more directly from those of you who are listening to the podcast. So if you have a particular issue you'd like me to address, you can email me at jefforge at gs.edu. Uh, that's J-E-F-F-I-O-R-G at gs.edu, and I'll get that and uh, take a look at it, and may- maybe you'll be the one who gets to determine the subject of a future podcast. Well, today I want to talk about an issue that uh, comes up every time Baptists have a little trouble. Uh, whenever we have some denominational strife or whenever there's a church denominational uh, challenge or even when there's local church issues that are creating difficulty, uh, one of the things that you often hear said is, well, we believe in the autonomy of the local church. And that phrase, autonomy of the local church, is used to justify uh, all kinds of behaviors and actions and to prevent all kinds of interventions or outside help. And it's important to understand, I think, what that doctrine really is about and uh, some of its applications and, frankly, some of its implications, both positive and negative. So today, uh, I want to talk about the autonomy of the local church, uh, why Baptists believe that, what it means, what are some of its strengths and what are some of its weaknesses, and what you can do to make sure that you're uh, using that doctrinal position appropriately and holding to that position appropriately rather than in a toxic manner. So first of all, what does autonomy of the local church mean? Well, autonomy means self-determining or self-governing. It means that a local congregation uh, is its final authority on its matters of faith and practice. Now, this, this stands in contrast to uh, other church structures that are uh, where local churches, uh, excuse me, other denominational structures where local churches are controlled by outside forces or outside groups or even an outside individual. Baptists uh, do not have a pope. We do not have one person who decides uh, what we believe or how we practice our faith. We also uh, are not governed by councils. Uh, we do not have a, a council or a synod or a board anywhere that meets and determines what Baptist churches will believe or how Baptist churches will practice. So autonomy means self-determining or self-governing. Uh, it means that the congregation has its own authority to make its own final decisions about its faith and its practice. It also means that uh, congregations, particularly as it relates to finances, have no dues or allotments or financial obligations to any uh, denominational entity or denominational group or any other uh, network of any kind outside outside themselves. And so autonomy of the local church means that a church is self-determining and self-governing. It means that it has uh, no outside pope or council or board uh, or 
anyone or any structure to whom to which it's responsible for its faith and practice. It also means it has uh, no financial uh, obligations uh, to pay or to forward or to send any dues or allotments or anything like that to any other group outside itself. So autonomous uh, is described and means these things. Now, that does not mean, or I should say autonomy does not necessarily mean independence. Now, these are two uh, related but different concepts. Uh, autonomy means self-determining and self-governing. Independence means stands alone from every other person or stands alone from every other influence. So an autonomous church does not necessarily have to be an independent church. An autonomous church can join any denomination or network that will receive them. As long as the autonomous church makes the decision uh, to join or to seek to join the denomination or the network, it retains its autonomy, meaning that it's self-determining or self-governing. And in this case, it has self-determined and self-governed that it wants to join another group, therefore not be independent, but yet at the same time still remain autonomous. Now, some might say that, well, autonomy is surrendered a bit when a church makes a decision to join a denomination or a network. And in some sense, that's true. Uh, it's like when you get married. Uh, I'm an autonomous person. I'm self-determining and self-governing, meaning that I'm both responsible for myself and I have the uh, capacity and ability to make decisions for myself. But once I entered into a marriage covenant, uh, with Ann, I surrendered, if you will, some of that independence, even though I retained that autonomy. Uh, I surrendered my independence because now I have to make decisions in light of what's best for the two of us, not just, not just what's best for me. I have to take Ann's needs into consideration, Ann's uh, interest, her dreams. And even beyond that, I now have some legal responsibilities and obligations that come with my marriage relationship that I have to fulfill. And if I dissolve the relationship, I definitely will have uh, some penalty to pay and some obligations to maintain uh, because of the previous commitments that I've made. And so when an autonomous church makes a self-determined, self-governing decision, to join a denomination or any kind of network, it retains its autonomy in that it's still making its own decisions, but it does give up a bit of its independence because it becomes part of another group and now is responsible for uh, participating uh, with the standards and the expectations of that group. Now, this autonomy does also does not mean that a church can believe or do anything. Now, this is one of the ways that autonomy is used in a sort of a misguided sense. People say, well, I believe in the autonomy of the local church, so our church can do whatever it wants. Well, that's not necessarily true. You're still bound by the constraints of Scripture and by understanding that you have to perform under the laws that are in your country or culture that govern uh, performance and activity of organizations like churches. And so autonomy doesn't mean a church can believe or do anything. Um, it, it has to recognize the authority of Scripture, and it has to recognize that it lives in a culture which does have laws and rules and regulations that are part of its uh, activity. For example, um, churches are governed by fire codes and building codes and things like that, and a church can't say, well, we're an autonomous church, we're going to do whatever we want. No, you're not, in the sense that you have to 
surrender some of that autonomy, if you will, uh, or excuse me, that independence, if you will, and recognize that living in community means that you are susceptible and responsible to some of the standards of the community. Same thing when you join a denomination. Uh, you're now susceptible to and responsible for uh, some of the standards of that denomination. So uh, autonomy doesn't mean a church can believe or do anything. Uh, it's constrained by some authorities that it has uh, in its uh, that, that are part of its uh, function and also part of its relationships. Now, in Baptist life, this autonomy of the local church idea has also been extended uh, to other Baptist entities. So, for example, we say that local Baptist associations are also autonomous, meaning they are self-determining and self-governing. And national or regional state or national conventions are also autonomous, meaning they're self-determining or self-governing. Uh, this is so hard for people outside of Baptist life to understand, but Baptist denominations do not have a hierarchy. The Southern Baptist Convention is not over the state conventions, and the state conventions are not over the associations. These things all exist on a level plane or a level field, and the church relates to each one of them individually. Now, uh, in the context of the autonomy of these organizations, it's also important to recognize that they too are self-determining and self-governing, which means they can decide for themselves uh, who their members can be and how those members can participate. That's why it is possible for a local association or a state convention of Baptists or even the national Baptist denominations to remove a church from their relationship or from their fellowship. Because uh, just as a church can decide who can and cannot be a member of the church, so a, a Baptist body can decide which churches can and cannot be members of that body. So this autonomy of the local church does not mean that a church can say or do or believe or practice anything it wants. Uh, that autonomy means it's self-determining and self-governing, but the autonomy is uh, is not expressed in this kind of independence mentality. Uh, autonomy is expressed in self-determination and self-governance, but independence is surrendered a bit when you join another group or another organization, and even when you join a community and live in that community, you're subject to the rules, regulations, and principles and standards of the outside groups you're a part of or the outside community that you're with. Well, having given that sort of a brief uh, uh, summary, let me now talk about a kind of a compare-contrast way of looking at autonomy. Let's talk about the upside of the autonomy of a local church, and let's also talk about the downside. Uh, the first upside is that churches survive by their own strength. Now, this is a major upside of the autonomy of the local church because it puts the responsibility for a church's vitality squarely on the church. When I planted a church in Oregon a number of years ago, we had some limited outside denominational funding. It only lasted for 30 months, and we liked that because I was able to say to our church from the very beginning, we are responsible for ourselves financially. We're an autonomous church. We're self-determining and self-governing. Therefore, we must also be self-sustaining. And that kind of pressure helped our church to develop its stewardship strategies and to train people to give as a part of their Christian commitment so that very early on our church became self-supporting. Um, churches must survive by, the, by their own strength, not only financially, but also by their own strength of developing leaders. This means that churches 
have to have a leadership development process whereby they are facilitating people coming into leadership and growing into leadership and that they have a pipeline that they're continually developing people so that their church has the leaders that it needs. Uh, another uh, aspect of this is spiritual devotion. Uh, there are no outside entities propping up a, a church, and so that church must maintain its own spiritual passion, maintain its own prayer life, maintain its own discipleship program, maintain a sound teaching ministry. Uh, it must maintain its fellowship and care for its members. A church has to be uh, uh, has to be on its own, so to speak, in developing its spiritual devotion, and that puts pressure on the church to grow. And so churches survive by their own strength when they're autonomous, their, their own strength financially, their own strength in producing leaders, their own strength of their own spiritual devotion. Uh, there is no outside entity that props up a church when it struggles in these three areas. And that leads us to the first downside of autonomy, and that is churches decline because no one can intervene in their affairs. Uh, when churches don't have enough money, uh, they don't have anyone who can step in and bail them out. When churches don't have enough leaders, uh, there's no one who can come in and, and provide the leaders they need. When churches' spiritual devotion uh, wanes, there's no one to step in and demand that that devotion be intensified. And so one of the downsides of autonomy that parallels this upside is that churches decline because no one can intervene. Uh, this is a part of being an autonomous church. You have to stand on your own strength. And when you struggle or when you're weak or when you're not all that you should be, uh, no one's going to come and bail you out. Second, uh, another upside is that churches are not limited by denominational constraints. What I mean by this is that an autonomous church is not obligated to use the denomination's curriculum or support a denomination's mission program or own a denomination's publicly adopted uh, political positions or, or uh, moral positions. Uh, a, a, a church is not limited by denominational constraints. And so if a denomination is not uh, doing all that a church needs, the church is free to go out to other networks or other organizations or other associations and find the resources and help that it needs or find persons who uh, can promote the positions that it thinks are appropriate and to stand with those organizations uh, as well as or even in some cases in lieu of their denominational support. But this brings with it a, another negative and that, that is a downside and that is church, while churches are not limited by denominational constraints, the downside is churches, autonomous churches also lack external accountability. Now, when I was a state executive director, uh, it was not an uncommon experience to have someone call me and say, uh, the such and such Baptist church is behaving badly. Uh, they've done this to one of their members, or they've done this in the community, or they've, uh, uh, they've adopted this position, and we want you to do something about it. Well, uh, there was nothing I could do about it. Um, I could use my personal influence, perhaps, to try to have a conversation with the pastor or maybe some other key leaders. But beyond that, uh, there's no external accountability for autonomous churches. They are not beholden to anyone or necessarily ha uh, do they have to respond to anyone who attempts to intervene. So an upside, not limited by denominational constraints, but the corresponding downside is autonomous churches have no external accountability. And then uh, another upside is that doctrinal standards are easier to maintain. And you may say, well, well, I don't know about that because 
Churches struggle doctrinally. Well, I understand that, but let me explain what I mean. Autonomous churches can maintain their doctrinal standards uh, in easier than connected churches or denominationally controlled churches because an autonomous church does not have to change its doctrine just because its denomination or its network of churches says they, they have to. Uh, for example, in some major American denominations, uh, the denominational structure has adopted a position on same-sex marriage or on homosexuality or on gender issues, or the national denomination has adopted uh, doctrinal positions on, uh, uh, on salvation or on the, the nature of Scripture or on even the, the, uh, the, uh, the character of God. And when those denominational adjudicatories, uh, adjudicatories make those decisions, they're binding on the churches, and so the churches may not want to embrace those doctrinal positions, uh, but they're bound to, to do so because the national denomination controls them. The national denomination selects their leaders, may even own their facility, uh, controls their resources financially. So you have to make a response, and especially when the national denomination makes a decision that's more moderate or more liberal than the local church, the local church uh, struggles, perhaps, but must accommodate what it's told that the denomination now believes. That's why I say doctrinal standards are easier to maintain in autonomous churches because uh, the denomination has no say or control over the doctrinal standing or position of a church. Now, this always has, also has a downside, and that is doctrinal peculiarities or doctrinal irregularity, irregularities in churches are harder to prevent. So, for example, again, when a church uh, decides to believe something that's quirky or different or difficult, but doesn't go outside the parameters of the, of the confessional statement of the denomination to which they're affiliated, the denomination really has, has, has no response or can make no response. Uh, I'll give you a couple of examples in Southern Baptist life. Um, the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, which is our doctrinal statement, uh, does not definitively say whether churches should be governed by elders or by deacons. Um, it has some statements about that, but those statements are open to some broad interpretation, and so we see that some churches are governed one way and some churches are governed another way. Uh, the doctrinal statement, though, has a very clear statement that says the office of pastors limited to men is qualified by Scripture. So uh, on that issue of women in pastoral ministry or when, women in senior pastoral leadership, the doctrinal statement is, is very clear. And so when a church chooses what I call a, a doctrinal peculiarity or a doctrinal distinctive that's within the larger confines of the doctrinal or confessional statement, there's not anything anyone else can do about that. So you may not like it that your church has decided to have elders, or you may not like it that your church has a deacon body that is the controlling or leading group in the church, but you can't really do anything about, or no one from the outside can really do anything about that on your behalf. So these kind of doctrinal distinctives within the broad context of a broader doctrinal statement make for a lot of variety in Baptist churches particularly. And then the final upside of autonomy is that churches select their own leaders. Now, this is good because churches can select leaders, and when they find leaders that are a good fit for them, those leaders can stay a long time. Uh, for example, I've worked with about five churches in the past uh, two years that have had a pastoral transition where the pastor has served for 25 years or longer. Uh, that would never happen in some denominations that move their pastors around every two to three to five years. Uh, so when a church is autonomous, it 
can select its own leaders, and those leaders can stay with the church for a long period of time. And this pastoral tenure that most studies show is a very significant factor in determining congregational health uh, is possible. So autonomous churches get to choose their own leaders and get to keep those leaders for a prolonged period of time and develop and support those leaders as best they see fit. And the, the downside of this is that uh, churches are not always skilled in personnel matters. Frankly, one of the most frustrating aspects of being a denominational leader uh, where churches have autonomy is the inability to intervene when they are making bad personnel decisions. Uh, you know, some churches don't realize that choosing a pastor or a, or a staff person is, is a spiritual process, yes, but it's also an HR process. And good human resources practices need to be put into place and followed in order for good personnel selection and personnel administration to take place. And quite honestly, some churches are really badly equipped to do this. And so they choose poor leaders or they uh, have poor supervision processes which make for poisonous, poisoned relationships with their leaders over time. Churches uh, are not always skilled in personnel matters, but outside uh, people like me are, are really powerless to do anything about that other than, again, try to offer counsel or help along the way. So let's summarize before we get to the uh, last part. Autonomy means self-determining or self-governing. It doesn't always mean independence. A self-determining, self-governing church can make the decision to surrender some of its independence by joining a denomination or a network, and in doing so, it's a lot like getting married. You take on the responsibilities and the obligations of being a part of that network. Now, Baptist entities like associations and conventions are also autonomous, meaning they get to choose who their members are. And so just because you join one of these groups doesn't mean you're a member for life. They have the privilege uh, at their discretion of removing a church from membership and uh, so autonomy cuts both ways when you're talking about autonomy of Baptist churches and autonomy of Baptist denominational groups. Now there's upside and downside to autonomy as I've tried to describe by these compare and contrast statements that I've made. But now let me cl close out by talking about maybe the most uh, troublesome aspect of this, and that is some instances when autonomy uh, becomes toxic. First of all, autonomy is toxic when it's used to justify harmful behavior. For example, uh, we recently were, I was recently working with a church uh, that was uh, considering a pastoral candidate who had a very poor track record of past leadership. Uh, his marriage is not healthy. He has a, a, a series of dubious interpersonal relationships and accusations that flow from those. Um, he has not proven himself to be an effective pastor leader, but he is a very winsome and charismatic person who, when you first meet him, is very impressive. So uh, church is considering this person to be pastor. And uh, I made contact with them and said, um, I'd like to offer you some information that you might want to consider uh, about your candidate, and I'd also like to encourage you to talk to some people uh, that have worked with him in the past so that you get a complete and full picture before you make your final decision. And their response was, well, you can't tell us what to do. Our church is autonomous. We can pick whoever we want to be our pastor. 
Uh, we don't uh, like it that you're trying to interfere in our process. We resent the fact that you would contact us. And so in this case, uh, my attempts to offer some counsel or perspective or to warn them about a potential problem uh, were met with this autonomy of the local church claim. Again, justifying harmful behavior is not a good use of the doctrine of the autonomy of a local church. Yes, a church is self-governing, and yes, they are self-directing, and yes, they can choose whoever they want to be their pastor. But that does not mean that they should ignore the counsel of others or not use good HR practices in thoroughly vetting a person that they're going to invite into leadership. So autonomy becomes toxic when it's used to justify harmful behavior and to hold proudly uh, to an arrogant sort of decision-making process that says we're smarter than everybody else, we know more than anyone else, no one will tell us what to do, and no amount of outside influence will sway our thinking. We're going to do what we think is right and what we believe or what we sense or what we intuitively uh, think is the right thing for us to do. Autonomy is also toxic when it limits accountability or responsibility. Uh, we have a situation that arises from time to time here at the seminary which illustrates this. In Southern Baptist life, there's a minimal financial contribution that a church has to make in order to be affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention. And that minimal contribution can be made through the cooperative program or through one of our mission offerings. It's a very, very low bar of financial involvement. Occasionally, we have churches, and sometimes large churches, that will uh, contact the convention and want to affiliate with the convention and make a minimal financial contribution for one reason. So their students can receive uh, from their church, their students from their church can receive the Southern Baptist tuition discount to go to Gateway Seminary. At Gateway, uh, we charge about $270 a credit hour for our master's level tuition. Um, we charge about $515 an hour for non-Southern Baptists. Why do we do that? Because non-Southern Baptist churches do not contribute through the cooperative program or support us financially. Therefore, uh, those students should have to pay more in order to come to our school. And they do. About 15 to 18 percent of our students at any given time are non-Southern Baptists. But if a church makes the minimal contribution to the Southern Baptist Convention or to the state convention uh, and joins the Southern Baptists by making that minimal contribution, it can be a huge financial windfall for their students. Now, while this is uh, acceptable legally, it is a questionable practice ethically. I mean, when a church is only contributing to the Southern Baptist Convention so that in name only they can be listed so that their students can receive this tuition discount, which vastly exceeds the amount of money they're contributing, believe me, there's something wrong about that. But yet, we're really powerless as a seminary to do anything about it. We can confront it and we can point out the problem, but here again, what's the answer? Well, the autonomy of the local church. We're doing what's minimally required. We don't have to do any more. This is the standard we have to meet. We're meeting it, so we don't understand why you're not happy with us. Uh, well, we're not happy because what you're doing is uh, using the system, not contributing to the system or supporting the system. And so autonomy of the local church, when you use it to hide behind a limited accountability or responsibility, uh, that's not a good use of the doctrine. And then there's one more. Autonomy becomes toxic when it's used to reject 
uh, help from others. Um, a few years ago, I was working with a church that was about to make a very, very bad decision. They were they, a pastor had come into this church, had led them to vote him a full-time salary when the church could not afford to pay him a full-time salary. Uh, the church had not paid that salary for six months, and then the pastor uh, brought legal action against the church demanding his back pay. And the only way the back pay could be accomplished was to sell the facility to, to pay the debt. And he convinced the church leaders that they had an obligation uh, to maintain their integrity by selling their property and paying off this debt. Yes, this really happened. In fact, I have three different examples of this happening in my ministry that I've had to deal with. And so uh, the local director of missions uh, tried to intervene. He actually went to the church on the night the vote was going to be taken to sell the property. And when he arrived, he was met in the foyer by the pastor who said, you're not permitted in our building. He said, well, I'm not sure why you would say that. This is an open meeting. It's an open worship service experience followed by a business meeting in which you're going to make a public decision. Um, you may prohibit me from speaking. I understand that. But how can you prohibit me from attending? And the pastor was adamant, you will leave the property now or we will call the police. You are not welcome here. The, the church members uh, who overheard this intervened and said, hey, listen, uh, you can't speak in the service, but, but you could stay. And they wondered what was going on, and the pastor and the church members then got into some conflict over whether this person could even stay in the building. And then some church members said, well, what, what did, why do you want to be here? What, what did you want to say? And then the, my friend told them, I'm here to, to say that I think what you're doing is inappropriate and wrong. And, and then chaos ensued. What I'm saying is this church was rejecting any outside assistance or any outside voice in their process. Yes, uh, they were within their rights to reject that voice because they are self-determining. But using autonomy of a local church to prohibit a person from coming on your property or for pro from prohibiting a person from having the opportunity to even speak to church members privately, uh, that is not a good use of the doctrine. All right. Anytime there's a little trouble in Baptist life uh, and there's conflict in the denomination or conflict with churches, you'll hear someone say, well, the churches can do whatever they can do or want to do because of the autonomy of the local church. Well, we need to understand that doctrine more fully and more completely. Yes, churches are self-determining and self-governing, but that does not mean they're independent. It means that they've voluntarily chosen to associate with other churches, and because of that, they have some responsibility that comes with how they behave in those relationships. Those, into, those individual conventions and those associations also have auto autonomy, and they have a responsibility in how they relate to the members that have the member churches that have chosen to be a part of their movement. There's upside and there's downside to this doctrine, and there's also some aspects of it that can be quite toxic. So before you say, autonomy of the local church, and start justifying behavior that's really destructive, using that doctrine in a perverted or a twisted kind of way, make sure you really understand what the doctrine means. Make sure you really understand a healthy application of the doctrine. Don't give up on the doctrine. Believe me, no one of us that I know in Baptist life wants a, wants a pope, a synod, or a council, or a board to tell us how to operate our churches. But at the same time, we have to hold to autonomy in the right kind of way if we're going to have it be a healthy part of local church life and Baptist denominational life. So, autonomy of the local church. It's an important doctrine to understand. It's an important doctrine to implement. Do so wisely as you lead on.